Welcome back to the Fordham IPLJ podcast. I'm your online editor, Christina Sauerborn. This week, guest tax correspondent Jessica Drake and I talk with Ted Monar and Ira Schaefer, partner and senior counsel respectively at Hogan Levels. You might remember when Ted and Ira chatted with us back in episode 38 about blockchain technology and smart contracts. In this episode, they're back to discuss the many taxation issues of cryptocurrencies and cryptocurrency transactions, focusing on the limited guidance from the IRS and what taxpayers may need to report by April 17th. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Fordham IPLJ podcast. I'm your online editor, Christina Sauerborn. And uh, today we are back at Hogan Levels, and I'm here with Ted Monar and Ira Schaefer, and they are partner and senior counsel, respectively. I'm also here with Jessica Drake. Jessica is our guest correspondent for this week's episode, and today we are talking about tax policy for Bitcoin transactions, which I think is really very timely because tax season is upon us, and I think people have a lot of questions about what to do. It's pretty new question on people's minds. So, um, But thank you guys for joining us again. I think you're our, our first return guests for this season, <laughs> which well, is an honor for sure. Well, thank you. We're very honored to be back. Yes, very happy to be here. <laughs> but we just wanted to point out one thing, that we are not tax attorneys, and so we can't give tax advice. What we are is very knowledgeable about cryptocurrencies, and therefore we think we could give some good ideas about handling tax consequences of uh, currency exchanges. Yep. We're looking forward to working with a lot of different clients now on cryptocurrency issues because with tax season upon us, the day of reckoning is coming. <laughs> I think so, especially based on um, some of the research we've done, which we'll obviously get into a little bit later. But just to sort of kick us off, if we could talk a little bit about just broadly, Bitcoin, the world of cryptocurrency, sort of how it's being transacted in the marketplace. If you could just give like a really brief cryptocurrency 101. Sure. I'll, I'll start. Uh, so as everybody probably knows, uh, Bitcoin rose out of uh, the ether, so to speak, in 2008 in a white paper by somebody called Satoshi Nakamoto and actually went online as a Bitcoin network in 2009 and it was pretty quiet for a while bitcoin had was very low in value but over the course of the next eight or nine years particularly in 2017 the value of bitcoin rose from let's say ten dollars all the way up to uh, over ten thousand dollars so uh, all of a sudden the value of bitcoin became consequential for people so Cryptocurrencies are a use case of the blockchain technology. And Bitcoin is one of the most famous cryptocurrencies, but by no means the only one. There are over 1,500 cryptocurrencies available right now, and so you can open up a wallet and start trading them as we speak. And a lot of people do. They're day trading cryptocurrencies. Well, not all of them could be traded on exchanges, though, can they? Not necessarily, but if you can find a willing buyer and seller, then there can be an exchange. As well, there are places now, um, real bricks-and-mortar stores, that let you buy goods and services with cryptocurrency. Most notably, Bitcoin, but also Bitcoin Cash. 
there are online marketplaces and websites that let you trade or transact business using cryptocurrencies and deal with far more than just Bitcoin. So it's a developing area. We are able to buy anything from a cup of coffee up to a Lamborghini with Bitcoin. You can buy real estate, you can buy airplane tickets, you can buy all sorts of things now with cryptocurrency like it was real money. But it's not. And that's where things get interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, I totally agree. And that I think sort of brings us to the question of how the IRS views cryptocurrency. And I think as we were talking offline, this is different from how I think other government organizations and I guess non-government organizations view it too. There's definitely a lot of thoughts about this. And I think that's what's really confusing for people. Well, the tax man cometh. <laughs> and we can all look at the, the meteoric rise in the value of cryptocurrencies as an opportunity not only to increase personal wealth, but increase government wealth. And the IRS and other taxing authorities are definitely viewing it in, the, in that light. Every cryptocurrency transaction is being scrutinized, potentially, for taxable consequences. And now with tax day soon upon us, um, a lot of people are looking back at the last year and saying, wow, I did a lot of cryptocurrency trading and now I have to deal with those tax consequences. Yeah, so specifically the IRS issued a notice in 2014, very quietly, saying that it considered any, any cryptocurrency to be a property, just like any other kind of property. It could be a, an artwork or a collectible or a, a car, any kind of asset that you might have. And so what was clear was when it said it was property, it was distinguishing over money. For example, the U, a U.S. dollar. So when I earn a dollar, I pay income tax on that earning. And when I buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks with dollars, that's not a taxable event. I'm using that money to buy property. But if I use property to buy property, that's a whole different story. So when the IRS said that cryptocurrency is property, they raised all kinds of issues. Now, did they give much guidance? Well, they have some questions and answers that they gave over there, but they really didn't answer a lot of the questions that come up in the complexity of uh, cryptocurrency usage in the world. So the world of cryptocurrencies was born with Bitcoin, and the whole point of Bitcoin was to avoid government intervention. And now, many years later, the government is coming to seek its due. The reality is they are going to tax every crypto transaction that you can engage in. Whether you buy crypto, sell crypto, exchange one for another, or use it to buy goods and services, or hold it and then sell it as an investment. These are all potentially taxable events. Now, buying may not be, but any other transaction involving cryptocurrencies are being reviewed now as a potentially taxable event. So it's kind of like a barter transaction. If one person takes cryptocurrency and gives it to somebody else in exchange for another, they've bartered one piece of property for another. The IRS wants to know what those properties were worth when they were exchanged. Same thing when you sell one cryptocurrency for a fiat currency, 
or you buy a cup of coffee. If you paid 10 Bitcoin and originally you got those Bitcoin for a penny a piece, you're going to pay capital gains tax on the value of that Bitcoin when you exchange it for that cup of coffee. Now, obviously, 10 Bitcoin for a cup of coffee would be outrageous yeah. because nice 10, Bitcoin, <laughs> 10 Bitcoin are worth right now at, at uh, $10,000 a, a Bitcoin, obviously $100,000. So that would be far more to pay. But usually speaking, the markups now on cryptocurrency exchanges are rather high. You're not getting a good exchange rate. But there's a lot of fluctuation in the value. Suffice it to say, if you were going to use cryptocurrency in your daily existence, it's a huge regulatory burden, bookkeeping burden, to try to keep track of every transaction you made and the profit or loss you made on the cryptocurrency in that transaction. Right. You need to know the basis of every crypto asset you spent right. because that, that's how you determine what your tax liability is. You subtract basis from the value that you got at the time of the transaction. And by the way, you, you mentioned a whole bunch of things you can do with cryptocurrencies that create taxable events. There's also the mining of Bitcoin. Everybody sees that as, boy, this is a way of making free money. But no, if you mine Bitcoin, that's ordinary income. I mean, obviously, if you spent money to make that money, like for electricity or equipment or whatever, you can subtract it if it's a business but it's still a taxable event. Right, so mining cryptocurrency is a way of earning ordinary income. So all those people who think, wow, I mined this cryptocurrency and didn't pay taxes in 2014 or 15 or 16, mm -hmm. now have to look back and consider, should we be filing back taxes? And the IRS, once they might get onto someone's trail, might be looking back a few years to see what kind of mining activities were engaged in as well. This is going to be a whole new world of tax enforcement for people. Yeah. Actually, I think I was going to say, I, I even remember, it, there's so there's an IRS notice that talks about, I think it touches a little bit on mining, and it sort of explains that if you are mining cryptocurrency and you're not otherwise employed by someone, um, that under certain situations you might have to report it as being self-employed, which I think is really fascinating. I don't think anyone stopped and thought about that. I'm pretty sure everybody just went, it's free money, let's just get all this money. Sounds great, you know? Um, and you owe, owe self-employment taxes, plus Social Security taxes, plus, and let's not even talk about the state taxes that might be involved. And income taxes and penalties for failing to pay your income tax at the time. And if it's an ongoing enterprise, you're going to have to start filing estimated tax returns because you're expecting income. Right. And for all those people who did the, the math and said, wow, I can think I can make money doing this because, well, I'm making more in cryptocurrency than I'm paying for my mining rig plus my electricity. Did you count the tax burden? That's the question. Did you did you factor in the necessity of paying tax on that income? And all the articles I've read never mention that. The, the notice from the IRS, only one that we have from 2014, is 2014-21. Um, and we haven't heard anything else from the IRS since then. So we know it's going to be treated like property. We know there's maybe some differences that, you know, 
it's given to you as income, it may be different than if you're holding it as property in your hands. You touched on record keeping, and that was something that we really wanted to hear about, was with cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and, and these things coming in and out of the wallet or multiple wallets, how could a taxpayer, and I know we have no tax lawyers in the room, but how could a taxpayer keep track of those things? Is that something that you just really are relied on yourself? Well, you are ultimately responsible for keeping track of all those transactions, but the good news is that most wallets offer that service. They will keep track of your transactions through the wallet. Obviously, the blockchain keeps track of the transactions, and so it's not so theoretically possible that you can trace everything you've done all the way back to you know when you first acquired a, a certain group of Bitcoin. The question is, do you remember who those transactions were with? And what did you buy or sell for that? And what the value was of that? So if you've got your daily cup of coffee, we can track that and probably figure out what that was each day. But on the other transactions, are you going to remember when you paid your friend because you owed them for half of a dinner or you know when you paid you know your taxes or you paid some other you know major expenditure or you were just trying out cryptocurrency for the first time and were looking forward to you know cashing in that's going to be an interesting uh, exercise yeah plus the other thing is you have to determine what strategy is best for you as far as taxes are concerned whether it's going to be last in first out or first in first out so you have to identify the coins that you're using and what the basis for those are, and you have to be consistent throughout your tax reporting on that. Now, one thing that Ted said was it would be nice if you could rely on the blockchain for your record keeping, except for two problems. Number one is when people keep cryptocurrencies in with wallet companies, a lot of the trading or exchanging that's going on is done off blockchain. So the wallet may be able to buy, let's say, one Bitcoin from you and sell one Bitcoin to somebody else and just keep the Bitcoin at their address yeah. uh, and, and it won't be shown on the blockchain. And because of that, you can't rely on the blockchain to find, you know, to help with your records. And then the other thing is that blockchain does not track U.S. dollars, just right. just Bitcoin or Ethereum or Ether or whatever. So there's no way of knowing what the basis was for that. But my guess is that the IRS is going to be looking at the blockchain to see what you've done with different Bitcoin. To just, just figure out who, yeah. Well, just to see if you've had a lot of trading and whether you're reporting all of it. Now, right. There may be more than what you... It shows up on the blockchain because of off-block trading, off-blockchain trading. But uh, I guess they would want to know, first of all, have you accounted for all the ones that are apparent on the blockchain? Right. So it'll be interesting to see whether they compel people to identify all the wallets they have yep. and all the accounts they have. That brings us right into talking about Coinbase, which if people are aware of being litigated whether or not they need to turn over customer data and um, we'd love to hear you guys talk about the privacy issues there and, and whether we're going to see more wallet companies turning over data. Well, so Coinbase was one of the early targets of the IRS. The IRS latched on to the idea that there were far too few people filing tax returns in the U.S. claiming their cryptocurrency gains whereas Coinbase seemed to have millions and millions of wallets. 
How could that be? Um, <laughs> so the IRS issued a subpoena to Coinbase asking for all of those wallets. Coinbase, obviously, on behalf of itself and its customers, fought that subpoena, and the subpoena was subsequently narrowed. So as of early this year, 2018, Coinbase had to turn over information for about 13,000 wallets, all associated with accounts that traded more than $20,000, yeah. I believe. Yeah, 20,000. 20, so there are now 13,000 people who have received notices from Coinbase that their particular uh, wallets were identified to the IRS. And this is for trading that occurred in 2014 through 2016, I believe. Roughly, yeah. Yeah, not even the big year, 2017. So now that the IRS has that win under their belt, we can be sure that they're going to look at those 13,000 accounts very closely Mm -hmm. and use that as the springboard to issue additional subpoenas. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's a privacy issue per se, because when the when the IRS gets data from you, when you file your tax returns, that's kept private, right? I mean, President Trump didn't reveal his tax returns. They had a right to say no to doing that. And so I don't think you lose your privacy, but I think it is you losing your anonymity. Probably I mean, more of what people who have flocked to Coinbase have thought of as my privacy, maybe not even from the IRS or their privacy of their information to the IRS, but just, you know, shouldn't be known at all. Right. So not necessarily a real. Well, privacy, so you may right? rec- you may recall that a lot of people put money in banks in certain countries like Switzerland or Liechtenstein because they had great banking laws and they protected your privacy, and th- there was no way of knowing w- whether you were hiding money you should be paying taxes on. So the IRS dealt with it in a couple of ways. Number one, they added us some one checkbox on your 1040 that said, I do or do not have money offshore. So if you check that box and you do, you've just committed fraud. Uh, Then the other thing is that they started to subpoena the banks and to get their records, and eventually they did. And so I think that they're just following the same game plan here with cryptocurrencies. They would, I'm sure they're going to change the form soon to ask you if you have cryptocurrencies or if you exchanged it in the, last, in the previous tax year. And they're going to keep going after different exchanges. And I think they have a right to do that, to get that information. The court limited what the information they could get, but only to the extent that the court said, well, we don't know if any of these people avoided paying taxes. Once they determined that they did, they may be able to get more information from Coinbase, but I have a feeling they'll just go to those individuals and ask for more information. So if you look at this like a statistical sampling, the question is, how many of those 13,000 didn't report their gains? Well, we know only 800 or so did at at most, so the numbers are not looking too good. And that's only one wallet company, right? There are They were just the largest. There's others. I was going to say, how many, I don't know if maybe you know this offhand, like how, how, pervade, how many wallet companies are there at this point? There are dozens, yeah. dozens and dozens. Yeah, I mean, if you go on the App Store for Apple, there's you know, plenty of wallet apps from different companies. Not all of them are as big as uh, Coinbase. Well, you have blockchain.info. 
there's a there's a whole host of them, but some of them are U.S. based, some of them are not. Mm -hmm. Some of them are you know without country; they are borderless or just cloud-based entities. Some of them are even more secret than that. So you know there are ways of hiding assets that involve wallets and wallet software. This is all the the world of encryption. Right. Um, yeah. Well, look, I think the realization here is that, that cryptocurrency is not a tax avoidance scheme. Correct. And that eventually the IRS or other government agencies are going to get the identity of people who are trading in cryptocurrency. So I think you have to look at it as an inevitability. And it's true. The nature of blockchain means that there is an immutable record of every transaction. So once a governing authority is able to link a number with a person, that transaction history can be traced back to the beginning. So, I mean, for example, let's say of the 13,000 uh, accounts that Coinbase is going to turn over to the IRS, the IRS is going to then question each of the individuals who own those accounts and ask them who they traded with. And so you can see how this can grow exponentially from there for them to find out who made these trades. So even if you had a offshore wallet, I mean, that might not protect you uh, as far as that goes. So sort of shifting gears a little bit. So there are apparently a few states. I have Arizona and apparently soon Georgia will actually be accepting cryptocurrency from taxpayers so you can pay your taxes using cryptocurrency, which is pretty wild. So I guess just Given your sort of understanding of cryptocurrency, do you think there are any additional difficulties this might create as far as maybe the potential for expanding this to federal taxes, the ability for the government now to be using cryptocurrency? Or can it ease things in some ways, natural yeah. liquidity problems, I guess? <laughs> well, so starting off with the idea that every time you transact business in a cryptocurrency, it is itself a taxable event because you might have had a gain or a loss, mm -hmm. you have to have some way of catching up with yourself as to how much tax do I owe every time I move cryptocurrency from here to there. But the idea of a government accepting cryptocurrency is not new. The first was a canton in Switzerland called Zug, Z-U-G. They've accepted cryptocurrency for over a year now, and it was just part and parcel of their acceptance of cryptocurrency as a part of the economic reality. So it's refreshing and a progressive for U.S. state entities to accept cryptocurrency now. And if people have cryptocurrency and are able to pay with those, then I, we expect they'll treat them just like any other merchant does. There will be a period of time by which that entity has to convert the cryptocurrency into U.S. dollars so they could pay their obligations elsewhere. I'm, right. I'm sure that that's part of whatever the law is in Arizona and Georgia for accepting cryptocurrency. There's probably a mandate that says that they must convert that cryptocurrency to U.S. dollars within 24 hours or whatever, because especially if the cryptocurrency varies wildly in value, they don't want to be at a loss. I guess it'll average out if it's going up and down. I mean, certainly it'll be it's helpful to people because you don't have to now take your ether and convert it to cash and then pay the state of Arizona. You could just pay them directly. So that certainly makes things easier. But just like Ted said, 
The problem is that if I pay uh, my state taxes with one Bitcoin that's worth $10,000 and I paid $1,000 for that Bitcoin, now I have to report a $9,000 gain to the IRS, so I have to pay a separate tax on that as well. So it's just like, I, I suppose in a way, it's just like when you earn money, like you do here at the firm. We get paid a certain amount of money, especially as partners in the firm, and the firm doesn't withhold. So you have to understand that, that that's not all your money. Part exactly. of it is tax money. So it's the same thing with paying with Bitcoin. You just have to understand that the government gets its piece of the action, and it's not all your money. I, once you have that mindset, you're okay. If, on the other hand, you think, well, I have $10,000 in Bitcoin, that's all my money, that's where you're going to run afoul of the IRS. Yeah, the, the crypto anarchists are going to be very unhappy. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Bitcoin system was designed to avoid central government control, central government manipulation, uh, and even accounting. But the reality is, for people who are subject to U.S. tax laws, our government is going to tax these transactions. And regulate it and everything else. So it's sort of ironic, in a sense, that you know, trying to get the government out of the system and, and the government is in it, they want their money. Both hands. <laughs> so should we expect probably to see you know, 5, 10, 15 regulations coming out within the next year or so? I mean, when, when are these regulations coming, since we only have the one at 2014-21? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're going to see enforcement actions. Right. So you, you've seen the subpoena, there's going to be follow-up, and then it's just a, a matter of time before someone decides to fight the IRS and say, no, I don't want to disclose this, and there's going to be a tax court case. And that's what we're looking forward to. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of tax law is made in tax court. So IRS issues a regulation, but it's, it's subject to interpretation. So what happens is the IRS takes a position and the taxpayer is, has the ability to disagree and it goes to tax court and the tax court decides. So I have a feeling that a lot of issues relating to cryptocurrency will come out like that. But you need to have a safe harbor because the interest rates for late payment of taxes yeah. is, uh, let's say, much higher than what banks are paying for interest rates right now. So you're taking a big chance if you don't pay your taxes up front. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of test cases come out this year. And that's what we're looking forward to. As the IRS starts moving forward on enforcement, there will be test cases because there's a lot of value at stake. I was going to say money, but it depends on uh, on your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I had another question sort of relatedly. Do you see sort of any... I know that the, the market fluctuates in value, obviously, with greater enforcement on these issues. I think going back to the whole idea that, you know, a lot of the early, I think, adopters and investors in Bitcoin were fans of this whole, you know, the government's not going to regulate us idea. And, and now with sort of greater attention paid to it, do you think that maybe some people who were really, really um, invested might seek to divest just to sort of maybe distance themselves from these consequences or potential consequences? Well, the burdens of reporting for purposes of taxes are real. And so this is going to be a part of the tax preparation cycle every year, not to mention estimated taxes. 
So if you've got significant gains during the year and they're spread across the year, the IRS expects you to pay estimated taxes. So it's going to become part and parcel of every cryptocurrency trader's daily existence. But for all of us who want to just engage in ordinary cryptocurrency transactions, it's a tax. And that tax means now I've got to deal with the reporting burden every time I want to buy a cup of coffee. And maybe that will discourage me from using cryptocurrency for that kind of transaction. So I was going to say, I mean, a lot of people buy cryptocurrencies for the purpose of just holding on to it mm-hmm. as a sort of like a different kind of asset. Right. You might buy an apartment, you might buy a property, you might buy stocks, and you maybe add to that the cryptocurrency. So if you just, certainly buying cryptocurrency is not a taxable event, so there wouldn't be any tax reporting for that. And if you just hold on to it, maybe perhaps to leave to your grandchildren someday or something, you wouldn't incur any tax consequences. And, It'll just grow in value, hopefully, if, if that's the reason why you're holding on to it. And, and so the government's not going to be a problem until, yeah. of course, the time comes and you have to get rid of it. So uh, I think that a lot of people who engaged in cryptocurrency, especially at the beginning, have very large holdings. So it's hard for them to just divest themselves of those holdings because it would probably severely impact the value of the cryptocurrency at the time. And so... I think a lot of them are just going to hold on to it and just make, try to make their money someplace else as their regular income. Um, not coming from a tech background, this is something that I think we encountered in, in researching but don't fully understand. So we wanted to touch on what a, a cryptocurrency fork is and whether or not there's, I think there might be a little interesting nugget of tax issue there. So someone could explain that. So when a cryptocurrency forks, literally the software that's used for that particular blockchain has changed. And ideally, a cryptocurrency upgrades and doesn't fork. It just gains in functionality, gains new features, gains new utility. When there's a fork, it shows that there's been some disagreement between the miners who are supporting that cryptocurrency regarding new developments that should be implemented. And when the cryptocurrency itself does fork, we create a new cryptocurrency. And the question becomes, as of that instant in time when the cryptocurrency is assigned to you, what is it worth? Now, whatever it's worth is your tax basis. If you then sell it later, just like we were talking about before, you've realized some gain in that sale. The Cryptocurrency forks that are are interesting right now come in really two flavors. One are the sort of unintended forks like Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin Cash was a gift, perhaps, to anyone who held Bitcoin at a certain point in time in the fall of last year. If you held Bitcoin, the Bitcoin Cash blockchain operators put Bitcoin Cash into your wallet. You didn't ask for it. It just showed up. It's kind of like cash falling from the sky. And in that way, Bitcoin Cash shows up. You have it. What do you do with it? Well, right now, Bitcoin Cash is worth almost $1,000 per unit. That's an amazing gift that somebody gave you. If you think about it, it's only been about 
less than a year. Yeah, so you got 10 of them per Bitcoin that you own. So if you had one Bitcoin, you have 10 Bitcoin cash. And it's so it's, it, right now, 10 Bitcoin cash are worth more than one Bitcoin. So you basically more than doubled your money. And then you have two different things that you need to then account for. Right, but the question is, what was that when the Bitcoin cash was forked <laughs> and given to you? What was it? Was it a dividend? Was it a stock split? Was it, was a, it a gift? There's, that's an interesting question for the IRS to ponder, and I'm sure that people are going to take different positions. On. Yeah, was it earned income? Then there's the example of Ethereum. So there's Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. So what happened, and why did we have that fork? Well, it turned out that someone implemented a certain trading technique that deposited $60 million worth of Ether in their accounts because of a certain way the software ran. So it was a use of the software in a way that was allowed by the system. The problem was a lot of people who lost their 60 million of ether found that to be less than acceptable. So they wanted to roll back that transaction, not let this one individual or group of individuals take 60 million dollars of ether out of the system. So upon reaching a consensus among themselves, they forked the Ethereum blockchain. And so now today we have Ethereum Classic and Ethereum. And Ethereum Classic is the one that was there originally and allowing the person who took the 60 million to continue to trade and use that ether. To a limited extent. While the Ethereum network continues on in its way, it's been forked the feature that was used to transfer that 60 million has been remedied and now people are trading and continuing on their merry way. Ethereum and Ethereum Classic also resulted in basically a doubling of people's holdings. But it only has value if there's an environment in which to trade both of those cryptocurrencies. Interestingly enough, there is. So that, that's going to be another interesting question for the IRS to decide, considering that it's property. So again, they didn't say it was a security, so you can't treat it like stocks per se. So we have no idea how they're gonna treat that. It's because these things are treated on a case-by-case -case basis. And we have heard to some effect from um, another body that it is a security, correct? According to the SEC, exchanges that carry coins are treated like they're trading in securities, and they're going to be regulated as such. And a lot of coins out there have been, are under scrutiny right now because they do carry attributes of a security, and they might have been issued without complying with the disclosure rules and laws implemented by the SEC and other governments regarding the issuance of securities. So that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> We're running a little short on time, but I think we've just had one more question that we sort of didn't touch on yet with regard to the new tax bill, whether there are sort of specific consequences related to Bitcoin transactions and how they relate to the new tax bill that's on everyone's minds. What's coming? Sure. So one thing that we didn't touch on here is there's a section of the IRS code that allows for like-kind transfers. Now, again, that is dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis, so there's no certainty even in that area. But so let's say I take my one Bitcoin and I buy 10 Ether with it, 
And so the question is, is that a like transaction or is that a tax event? Mm. And the answer is, well, we have to wait and see what the IRS says. The new tax law on a going forward basis starting in 2018 has done away with all like-like transactions except for real estate. So even if you could get away with it from 2014 through 2017, it will not be so on a going forward basis. So that's you know one, since we don't know if it applies, we don't know how important it's going to be, but that's certainly something to consider. So the like-kind transaction exception is going to be probably one of those hotly contested areas in 2018 because it could immunize or if at least exempt a lot of transactions from the recording and taxing issues, but it really results in a deferral. It doesn't mean that you won't pay taxes someday, it just means that the taxes may not be due now. And whether that makes sense or not actually depends on your overall tax situation given that the tax laws have changed and now certain taxable structures and the tax rates have been adjusted, there may be tax strategies that favor taking the taxable event now versus deferring it until later. One of the ones you think about is, right, if I'm going to leave my cryptocurrency holdings to my children, then hopefully it'll step up in basis upon my passing. All of those gains would then go to them tax-free. That could be one reason to try to defer all of these taxes as much as possible. Yeah, so the only the other issue, again, the, the tax law, the new tax law might uh, address is the idea of allowing this lower corporate income tax rate for small corporations. So while there are certain professions that are carved out of the new tax law for this, like law, though if, if you're a trader in cryptocurrencies, you may be able to form a small corporation and take advantage of a lower tax rate. So even if you're not going to be getting, let's say, long-term capital gains relief, you can pay this lower corporate rate on that. So it may be that uh, traders will take advantage of, of that provision of the new tax law in 2018. So this is going to be an interesting area for tax lawyers. It's a new and growing issue for a lot of clients. People who may not have realized they had tax issues now realize they do, but they also have significant cryptocurrency holdings, we assume, and thus will be interested in trying to work out their tax problems. Well, Ted and Ira, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us again. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. The Fordham Intellectual Property Media and Entertainment Law Journal is a publication staffed by the students of Fordham Law School. Our faculty moderators are Professors Mark Patterson and Joel Reidenberg. Our Volume 28 Editor-in-Chief is Alex Kirk. Our Managing Editor is Matt Hershkowitz. Special thanks to guest correspondent Jessica Drake, and a huge thank you to Ted Monar and Ira Schaefer for being part of this week's episode. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. If you liked what you heard, please rate us and give us a review. It lets us know how we're doing and really helps our visibility as we continue to grow year after year. For more information about Fordham IPLJ, please visit our website at www.fordhamiplj.org. You can follow us on Twitter at at Fordham IPLJ or on Facebook.com slash Fordham IPLJ. 
Additionally, you can support Fordham IPLJ and unlock exclusive bonus episodes by visiting patreon.com slash Fordham IPLJ and becoming a patron for just $1. I'm your online editor, Christina Sauerborn. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.